0: You have to believe in yourself and you have to you have to be able to pick the phone up and reach out to people and you know, not not take no for an answer. You know, yeah. I came here from nothing, I knew no one, I have no family here, I didn't go to UCLA or USC. I wasn't a member of any country clubs or anything. I just kind of felt like I wanted to do it and you know, just applied some of the other businesses that I've done in the past to real estate.
1: Our next guest is special in every way. First as a native of Australia, to becoming a professional tennis player and then turning that burning competitive spirit and desire into becoming the Roger Federer of luxury real estate. He set records for the highest unit volume at Hilton and Highland four years straight, sold over 300 million in 2021, and has represented some of the biggest home sales ever on the west side of Los Angeles. Recently, he joined the new powerhouse luxury brokerage in LA, Carrollwood. Please welcome to the show, Bjorn Verugia.
0: Hopefully I can get to that level, being the luxury real estate guy. Roger Federer, thanks for the warm introduction. Appreciate it. Great to meet you guys today, of course.
1: Awesome to have you. I want to talk first about your name, Bjorn. Well, you were named after a, a pro tennis player. Is that right?
0: I was, yes. Bjorn Borg. My mom was very fond of him. She also liked one of the guys from ABBA. Bjorn Alfredson, he's also named Bjorn, and my mum liked them both. She thought they were handsome blokes and named me after them.
1: Not a bad... Just kind of that I
0: started playing tennis. It was no very serendipitous and organic, and like an accident. It wasn't because really my mum played tennis. It was just because she liked the name and just kind of fell into it, to be honest.
1: Was tennis your only sport that you played when you were young or were you like a multi-sport
0: Played a lot of sports, mate. I played Australian football a lot. I'm from Melbourne, where kind of Australian football started, which is uh, one of my favorite places in the world. Played cricket, soccer, tennis, played golf. Played a lot of sports, but primarily I would say tennis, golf, and Australian football.
1: And Australian football, what was your position?
0: I was in the mid-Rover. Rover's kind of like in the midfield. I kind of get in the bottom of all the packs where the ball is and Kind of create the plays, I would say. Got to be fast, nimble, talking a that, lot, causing trouble. Yeah. But also, like, people trying to catch you and trying to kill me at the same time. So I liked it. I think in Australia, you know, it's seasonal. In the winter, they play Australian football. So we did that. In the summertime, we'd play cricket. And that's what we did with all the people in the neighborhood. Aussie rules. I played in America. Each state has a team. And I played for the team in Atlanta. And we played against the Australian team of, against the American team that played Australian football. I, I played it at a pretty high level. Uh, I've got my ribs cracked, my cheekbone cracked. I mean, it's just because when you're the little guy, everyone wants to kill you, but someone's got to go there and get the ball. I always felt, you know, you can't be scared. you got to go in hard because if you're scared, that's when you get injured. You just yeah, got to go in, go for the ball. It's kind of like real estate. You've just got to dive in and go head first. You can't really hold back. Kind of use that same mindset in real estate as well, in everything I do, actually.
1: That's great. So when you were playing tennis, like when did you know you were good, like beyond like, wow, I can maybe do something with this? Was there like a moment in time or?
0: I don't know. It's a a good question. You know, I always wanted to be Roger Federer or Stefan Edberg, who's also another famous tennis player of mine. Oh, yeah. And I felt, I don't know. I felt I, I connected to it and I felt that, you know, I was gifted in a lot of ways and I felt that I, you know, I always wanted to be a pro tennis player. So I got a scholarship to come here and I, I tried my best, but I don't, I feel like I could do anything if I kind of applied myself to it. But tennis was something that I just felt made my heart smile. If that's the right word. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I was, I'm a little guy in size. So that's always hard on the tour, but, um, yeah, it's kind of my answer. How, how tall are you? Five eights okay. So what was and your most of the guys advantage? On the tour, most of the guys on the tour are like 6'1", like okay. Rafa's 6'1", I think, and he's a little guy. You know, when they're serving the ball, you really, they're taller, they can hit it down harder over the net. So for me, little guy was tough in that regard, but I exceeded my expectations. I did amazing, very blessed, got to travel to the world playing tennis and you know, obviously got to come to the States, which has been a gift from God for sure.
1: That's awesome. So when you played tennis, was your sort of competitive advantage, was it speed? Were you just like that guy that would get to every ball, like back and forth? And
0: was that that
1: your your thing versus power?
0: Speed. Like in America, like, I don't know, since I've ran big tennis academies here in the States, I learned this word, it's called tanking. And it's kind of where people play and they don't try. And I would Hmm. say I was always the one who tried – for every single point and every single ball to the best of my ability. I think Rafa does this a lot. You know, he tried, Rafael Nadal, he's always trying his best and hardest. And I was that guy that was fast and quick and made a lot of tennis balls in the court and just never gave up. And, you know, that that was my strength for sure. I think it's kind of, I think you can adapt that to anything. But, yes, you know, I, I, was, I was a little bloke. So, you know, that that's all I had. Sort of. <laughs>
1: Nice, nice, nice. So when did when did you give up tennis? When was that? When was the sort of moment like, okay, I gotta I gotta stop doing this. It's not happening. I need to do something
0: else. I played one D one junior college in South Georgia. Came in on a collegiate scholarship. Uh, we finished two in the in the nation in our, in our part of the conference, and then I went to try and play after that, and I realized that I probably was not going to be. Roger Federer, Stefani Berg, and then I kind of ended up finishing school at D two D two College outside of Atlanta, and then I snapped every single racket and was depressed for two years and didn't play. couldn't touch it. Took me a long time to come to terms with it, where I realized yeah. I gave up everything and I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm it sure
1: it. it's when you hit oh. a level, a professional level, mm-hmm. and you put in all that time and oh. effort blood, sweat, and tears, right? Um, it's tough. I get it's it. It's so um, hard.
0: Now, I've got a lot of mates that are golfers and high-level golfers and, and kind of same mentality. You know, once you get to a level and you realize you can't, you kind of, then you kind of hate it because you kind of failed at it. And it's kind of rubbing it in your face every time yeah. you play it. So I don't know if you felt that with the rugby situation, but, you know, it, it was hard to get back into it. I love it now. I'm very connected to it and always kind of give back and, Support junior tennis. And I have a lot of clients that have kids that play tennis and always want to help them kind of share some of the love of tennis that gave me so much.
1: Awesome. So, how did, so, so we go from college tennis, we're, we're hanging up the racket. Uh, and then what do we do? We're going to, to New York and getting to finance. Is that how
0: it worked? Yeah. I taught, yeah. I taught tennis in East Hampton while I was in college and some golf stuff there. And I always felt like I want to go to New York and make a billion dollars. Doing finance, Uh, everyone's dream. I don't know, not everyone's, but for mine it was. I went to the city, New York, and I lived there for about three or four years, and um, it was a uh, dangerous place. had a lot of fun. Uh, Very fortunate anyone that could go there ever and live there and worked. I worked in 40 Wall Street, Trump Towers, right where the NASDAQ was, like four buildings away from the NASDAQ, wake up every morning, like you go on the train, you're like living with all the people that are going to like shouting and screaming on the floor of the NASDAQ and I would go there at that time, I'd go to the Starbucks there and see them all, it was like crazy fast pace and I was raising money for a foreign exchange firm that uh, invested in like dollars and euros and francs and um, Australian dollars and American dollars and, it was an amazing experience to be there and do that. New York was, you know, anyone that can go there and live there for a little bit, it's, it's, there's no education better than that in my opinion.
1: Yeah, New York is one of those cities you don't live in, you survive in. Totally, right? it
0: was crazy.
1: <laughs> I've only but been I, there a handful of times, but like, yeah, it's one of those, it's it's hard. It's not, it, you don't just roll into New York and, you know, it's, it's a grow up your sleeves and, and get dirty and grind. Twenty four seven. You be
0: connected there. Also, I think you know. If I did. I was very green and naive, and you know, you look. Know, I put my resume on monster.com. I'm going to get a job. Like, yeah. There's so many people that are doing resourceful and unsavory things that you got to weed through that. Like, okay, yeah, it's just different. So I wish if I went there now, I'd do it differently. And you know, if you got a little head start, you could you could do really well there. You got to work hard. You know, LA is kind of like a part-time job compared to New York. People in New York go to work at six in the morning and finish at nine, 10 o'clock. Here you go to work at six or seven and maybe you stop at six or seven. Like in yeah. New York, they'd work till like 10, 11. And that's just what it is. So it's just different vibe, different culture, different people. Um, it's hard. You got to make a lot of money there. And it's a hard life, I think, as well. Not everyone does it. It's tough, might be from what I saw.
1: In a way, Bjorn, your background is perfect, perfect setup for being a a stud in real estate because you've got this competitive athletic background, right? Multiple sports, fierce competition, and then you go into the most competitive, fierce city in America, New York, in finance, which is tough, right? Um, You find your way through that. So how do we then get into real estate?
0: I've started four companies since I've been here, different versions of – In think finance, you, know, business, you mean? No, not or finance, I did finance. I had a, a business in Atlanta with some Aussie mates, which we grew quite large, and then I had some ten, big tennis academy here in, in California that one of my Aussie mates was kind of running, and he really gave me an opportunity to come and work with him. And I feel – you know, there's three or four really key things to be successful in any business, I believe. And I think I have some of those strengths, I, I feel. But if what you are can those? Apply, I what think are those in your mind? You've got to work hard. You know, you you, you got to want it. you got to work hard. Um, you've got to good be good at connecting with people. And I think you've got to be able to pick up the phone and get in front of people. You know, if you can do those things and be relentless and not take no for an answer and just do it and do it every day, and, and don't stop. You know, you, you'll get some luck. You, you create your own luck through hard work. But I think if you can work hard, you'll beat like 80% of the people, in my opinion. Uh, you have to believe in yourself and you have to you have to be able to pick the phone up and reach out to people and you know, not not take no for an answer. You know, yeah. I came here from nothing. I knew no one. I have no family here. I didn't go to UCLA or USC. You know, I wasn't a member of any country clubs or anything. I just kind of... Felt like I wanted to do it and, you know, just applied some of the other businesses that I've done in the past to real estate.
1: I couldn't agree more with what you said and you'll appreciate this. My first job out of college, Bjorn, was selling insurance, life insurance as a 22 year old. Right. Who who wants to talk to a 22 year old about life insurance?
0: Uh, Totally tough. All all (laughs) those things you probably learned, like, you know, I know we have a, some similar things in common from my experience with you. And I feel you have some of those things. And I think you probably learned some of those things. What made Diggs Magazine successful in, you know, 22 year old when you're doing insurance, you don't even realize. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? It, it,
1: no, I appreciate that. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and it is that overcoming your fear, grind, hard work, not being afraid yeah. to get in front of people um, and fail and fail and, and get back up and fail and get back up and, and just keep doing it, keep doing it, and make you make, use it as a tool to make you stronger, not to weaken you. You know, get stronger f- because of it.
0: It's 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 hard. It's hard for sure. I think yeah. LA is tough. LA is different to New York. New York, they'll tell you they won't waste their time. LA, they'll waste your time, and then you can, don't get the deal. I'd rather like just tell me I'm not getting exactly. it. Exactly. Like I can move mm-hmm. on. I don't want to waste my time. LA so will I, spin
1: uh, you. It's a spin cycle. Where New York is just like a will cut. It's a, it's a scissor and, and cord cut. <laughs>
0: it's better. It's better. I right? think in a lot of ways, because totally. you know, at least you just get straight to the point. Absolutely. You know, there's no wasting time, BS. So, you know, it's helped me a lot in, in LA. I feel being in the city, it really like, it makes you Frank Sinatra. Like if, you know, it's the city that it's an amazing city and New York, New York, but like if you have no money and you don't have any connections there, like you probably will get run over because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like that. As you know, anyone that's been there knows that it's also like a blessing to be there because it's it's such a fun place. And again, it was like tennis for me. Once I left there, it nearly killed me. I, I couldn't go back for like two years. I just I was scared of it. It was yeah. like my it was like my family. Like it was, it was so hard for me to go back. But you know, I'm very I'm, I met my fiance there. It's, it's been a blessing. It's been great. I love it.
1: I have a funny New York story for you. My first my first time there. Right. And I was young. Uh, I was working for a music magazine at the time. and They had a convention there um, called the CMJ Music Festival. Uh, that was way back when. And um, so I go down to one of the, it was Soho or something. I don't oh, know where I, still I was. I in Soho.
0: I used still live in Soho. And, uh,
1: cool. There was like a little gathering, like a record label thing. And, and I got into a cab um, on my way back. This is my first night. So I was just flown in, got myself at the hotel, went to this thing and got in left there and I get in the cab and I say I'm going to this hotel and he didn't respond so I said do you know where that is and he he pulled over he so we drove about 30 yards he slammed the brakes on and he pulled over and he turned around and he said do I know where that effing place is do I you're asking me you're in my car you're asking me where I'm going get out of here out that, 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 I'm not that's, taking you. I was like, that, that's "This so is New great." York. Welcome that's to New so, York, man. So New York. Get out of my car. So yeah, I got is, kicked out of the cab, and I go, "Okay."
0: That's Note it to it self:
1: is. Don't ask the cabbie where if he knows where he's going.
0: No, if you told funny. him to like, if you swore at him back or something, he'd probably like, you know what? I get it. Okay, all good. Move on. You know, I think yeah. you, you got you to push back. I think. Yeah, I was a
1: scared little California totally, dude. Like, totally. Yeah, I was
0: like, I was similar. Man, I came from Australia. Totally the opposite of anyone in New York, but, you know, uh, it, it was good for me in my, in my life and my career and my business and just in general, just to be a resilient, yeah. stronger person. Being so there. how
1: do we get into, okay, so you started with Keller Williams, right? Was it LA? I
0: was in Brentwood, Keller Williams. Okay. Um, I started, I had a another business when I started and I wanted to get out of that business because I was working nonstop at this, with this tennis academy. I was the head guy at the tennis academy. So, I started working part time with an agent's team at Keller Williams in Brentwood, actually. And no one that I know, but one person is still doing real estate in that office, really, from when I started, actually. Wow. And the person that I know that's doing it kind of started at the same time as me, and he's we still, we're very good friends. And there was an accident. I didn't even speak to him when he was there, but it was good, Keller Williams, at the start. I think any good agent that wants to get involved in real estate, I get a lot of calls. And I'm like, work on a team. You know, start on a team. I think Keller Williams has a great platform to start and get educated. I think they could some do do things differently to grow their agents, but, you know, everyone has a different model. Um, but I think it's a great platform. It's made some amazing books by people at Keller Williams. And I think um, you got to work on a team at the start, in my opinion. So, But I started there. I worked on a team. I was working part-time, five hours a week and kind of weaned out of the business that I had uh, previously, uh, which was a full-time, I worked insane amount of hours, and just kind of wanted to get in real estate and kind of weaned out of my tennis business and weaned into the real estate. Mm. That answers your question.
1: So when you were getting full-time into real estate, you're like, okay, I'm going, I'm diving in the deep end here. Did you have a strategy going in? Like, I'm going to focus on luxury or this neighborhood. Did you have a specific like idea and plan in mind? Or did you just say, like, I'm just going to kind of stumble around with this team until I figure it out?
0: It's a good question. You know, I felt that, I, I felt like I lived in a place where there was a lot of high-end real estate. So I was kind of blessed in that regard. The first deal I did, one of the first deal I did was $384,000 house in Santa Clarita in Valencia, which is far away. But far from of, yeah, yeah a little bit a little little <laughs> further away um but i i don't know i actually i don't know i just kind of like dove in and just kind of back myself and you know i always feel like i i have about two or three people that i look up to in the real estate market today in la so i still feel like i'm not selling like them even though anywhere in the world i sell a lot of high real estate but I only have a few people that I kind of aspire to be. But Who are those? Probably-
1: would you Would you name those? Or you-
0: yeah, I would say I would say probably the two people that I would say that I would name, I would say would be Drew Fenton. I always use his name because I think he holds he holds himself in the highest regard, and someone I look up to. He's got an amazing reputation. He's very measured, poised. He knows what he does. People, you know, they they, they like him, and they know he's a good person. And I think that's really important. He's very humble and he's like top one or two in LA. I think he's been, he's, he's really good. Santiago Arena, he's here on the West Side. He's been great to me. Look up to him a lot. been like a big brother. Feel very connected to him in a lot of ways because, you know, we're foreign and didn't maybe come from different cloth and someone that does some things that, you know, I do some things a little bit like. I think Kurt Rappaport is also very probably you know one of the biggest in LA as well, and someone that is uh, just does things in a different sphere than everyone mm-hmm. else. He yeah. just he's what he does is like no one else. So I said those those people. I think you know Jeff Highland was someone that we looked up to a lot because he was very much like Drew in a lot of ways, and you know you know I always want to be humble. He was like that. Rick was very good to me as well kilton always very good to me. Yeah, just, these are some of the people that I've mentioned. That's sure. great.
1: You know, those are, those are uh, awesome awesome names. And uh, we had Santiago on the podcast. Um, and yeah, he had a great story to tell on, on how he almost didn't make it into real estate, how he had 300 bucks left in his pocket. He was about to take a job interview somewhere in Venice or something. And he turned around and just left and made the commitment there. He was... And he's been grinding and he's, you know, same, same, same ethos,
0: you know? Yeah, similar, similar. I mean, I got to New York, nearly died twice and had $800. And then my mate in Atlanta's like, come down, I've got a job for you. So I went there and we started growing this company. And then I was in Atlanta for like three years and I saved some money. And, you know, I met a girl in New York and wanted to come to, she moved to L.A., And then I wanted to come to LA and one of my ex-girlfriends gave me a car and I drove across country by myself. I had no phone. I just drove in the middle of Katrina, that kind of tsunami that happened kind of just after it. It was one of the best things driving across country by myself. Amazing, kind of like therapeutic, clear your mind. Mm
1: Because there's so
0: many things going on, but no phone, just crazy things. I I went I I stopped in Modesto, my car broke down. I my, I stopped into this hotel, it was like a crack hotel. I didn't even know, uh, some guy tried to break into the hotel j- when I was there. <laughs> oh man. And then I got to LA and I kind of, I wanted a job and I started working at this gym, kind of just made some calls and saw a ad on Craigslist and just found out who they were and I went there, I said, I want a job, give me a job. Got a job, and I just kind of started like that.
1: Sounds like we need to make a documentary on your life. It's way, there's way too many.
0: Yes, too, too
1: many interesting things going on with you, Bjorn.
0: Yes, um, you know, <laughs> I think there's a lot of things, but I would say I'm very focused on one thing. Yeah, and that's selling. You know, being the best that I can be in real estate. You know? Well, and the, I think and the
1: volume. I, I mean, the the volume. Some of the stats we we mentioned earlier. I mean, having the highest tr- transactions for you at the most competitive, arguably the most competitive or one of the most competitive brokerages in the country, Hilden Highland, with a lot of stars, a lot of A list uh, you know, agents there, for you to be, you know, year after year after year, number one, it's a big deal.
0: Well, I think I was number one in the volume perspective. Yeah. We sold me and my team more than probably two or three X. At least two X more than the second person in second position. But you know, the people at Hilton and Highland, like they're like everyone says they're the best. Actually, Hilton and Highland, if you look at the numbers, they selled, which now is pretty much Carrollwood. Carrollwood is literally a young, fresh, new age Hilton and Highland with eight of the top ten agents at Hilton Highland going to Carolwood. Drew, like a lot of I'm there, a lot of big players are there and you know, we sell all the high-end real estate in LA and very blessed to be around the people. We're like a family, you know, they're, they're, our reputation's important and we don't try to do anything to undermine each other or other people. Um, but, you know, we, 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 like, like Drew would sell like, like some of these, his numbers are probably three or four X more than us. And, you know, we're dealing with like Linda May and Steve and Johnny and, just some of the other agents there: Susan Smith, Brett Lawyer, Jonah Wilson. These are some of the best in LA. They're super connected to high net worth people. So, you know, coming there from Keller Williams, went to another brokerage, DZ Penner, an architectural firm. Outgrew that, and then I met Alfonso, my business partner there, and then just being at you know Hilton and Highland, kind of climbing our way to those you know, top couple spots, two, three spots was definitely, I didn't even know actually, I just kind of kept doing it and the volume kind of spoke for itself.
1: Carol, it's really interesting, the 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 story, like, you know, how you guys started that. And is it gonna, is the goal to, to re- remain super boutique there? Like not to get a bunch of agents, just get really, really A-list agents and keep it small kind of thing, but I big think, volume, listen,
0: obviously. I, yeah, I mean, listen, we don't want, and listen, like I I, I'm not the Drew and Nick and Ed own the company, but I feel, you know, we don't want just any agent. We want the right reputation of people. We want the right people who are connected into our ethos, family. And I feel like, you know, any, most brokerages want lots of people. We want the right people, but deal-making, producing, connected, good people our brokerage we've only been in existence for three months we have like 74 agents we did no branding no marketing people called you know some of the founders and said hey we want to come and some of the you know I think the great thing about us is on the west side they call some of the other agents if someone wants to join they call the other agents and say hey what do you think about this person and ask them that's really important to me because I don't want to be affiliated with anyone that doesn't have the reputation that I feel I hold myself to like that would, you know, if I don't yeah. want to be affiliated with someone that's not our vibe and I'm mm-hmm. sure there'll be some people that going there, but I think I know drew holds himself to a very high regard and, and I know Ed does that as well. So I think that's important to us for sure. That answers your question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's growing very about-
0: fast, very fast. You know, oh, we, yeah. we, we actually it- are saying no to people. I believe, you know, we're just trying to say we we need a more, our office is full and we feel lucky for sure. And also also not, it was like not fun what happened at Hilton and Ireland, how it kind of unraveled and we we didn't really want that to happen. You know, everyone was very close and I was very close in the negotiation. I think with, with people like Drew and Ed and Rick and one of my other mates, Zach, Goldsmith, we were very in, intertwined in the deal and it's very sad how it went down, actually. But, you know, we have to make big boy decisions and move on and, you know, we're, we're fortunate and I think we feel lucky to, you know, take the next step and make it a fresh, young, new age Hilton and Highland just with our brand and, you know, just keep growing it, you know, for Jeff, yeah. legacy and make it our
1: own. Well, there's a lot of star power for there, for sure. It's going to magnetize other potential stars. So you guys are gonna be in good shape and gonna be one to watch for, for sure. Let's talk about some of your, your crazy big sales you've got. Do you, I know you you did you sold uh, Russell Westbrook's home, right?
0: Last year? Did this- we sold Russell's house. Yeah, we sold that one. We we are trending. One would say we're trending in making more deals like that. Uh, yeah, we sold Russell's house. We sold, Rus- Russell had another house that we sold previously. Um, you know, we work with a lot of, we sold, we worked with Lou Ferregno, the Hulk previously. Mm-hmm. We worked with a lot of entertainment people also previously in the space. Some, we have to sign NDAs so we don't always talk about them. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, we've been fortunate enough to connect to those people. I think it's different connecting. You can't cold call generally one of these people. Plus <laughs> the Westbrook probably not getting a cold call. no. So it's just about connecting into the right spaces and with the right people and building a reputation. You know, like people speak. I think the sandbox is small. You know, West Side Market small. Yeah. Even from Beverly Hills to Malibu, it's a small space. People know who you are over time, and you know then you, you. It's it's very intertwined.
1: What about the Australian market? Are you are you a developer. Uh, there as well. You go. We have,
0: we have some real estate stuff going on in Australia for my family. You know, one of my life goals was to buy my mom a house. So I did that. Then I nice. bought the neighbor's house because that was close and I made, I thought it made sense. So we're doing some stuff there for my family. My little brother he's in real estate. He's been amazing. We kind of have a company that we do that as well. I'm very close. One of my, my big brother is like my, literally my big brother's a big property developer in Melbourne, fifth the biggest family owned office. And he's really guided me a lot through that process. So we're doing that, doing it here a little bit. We just built a house, copied one of my favorite architects in uh, in the world. And that was a fun project and you know, looking to do right. more of that. I think the way to make money in real estate is to buy real estate. You know, we, we get to look at so many amazing deals. we got to, you know, have the courage and buy some real estate and try to invest in yourself, and back yourself. We get to see what the, buyers are looking for and I think anyone that's successful in real estate or even a lot of successful clients have real estate you know investment bankers basketball players tennis players golfers hedge fund people you know finance people they all have some diversification of real estate so trying to do that more and have some stuff in Melbourne going and some stuff here as well
1: Australia they don't have buyers agents right when you they don't. when you're don't. when you're they're so starting to that.
0: adopt it. They call it a buyer's advocate, which I think is a huge negative. Because in Australia, homes are purchased more on an auction. There's no real inspection. You just you go put your hand up, you try to buy it, which is not fair to the buyer. And it's hard to negotiate, actually. I think you should at least have an inspection, in my opinion. And you also need someone to negotiate for you, I feel. So buyers advocates are coming more prevalent there in, in Australia. It's kind of a cultural thing. They don't get it, and they think they're paying for something they don't need. You know, my sister bought a property there recently. She used the buyer's advocate. She saved like, you know, ten percent because the buyer, the agents are just trying to get the most for the money. Who's fighting for the actual buyer? And if you don't know, if you're in a white collar, sophisticated, educated place, you may know how to negotiate. But not everyone knows, right? So if you go to like some different locations, they don't know. They're just like our oh, agent said. It's worth five hundred. That's all we got to pay. So it's different for everywhere. But it's
1: interesting. The, the whole market there is dual agency. It's basically set up it's, it's, it to is. double, double it pop is. everything. And it's it like is. in here, it's like illegal or there's a lot of problems you get into when you're representing both sides.
0: Okay. You know, not illegal, think, You know what I mean? It, yeah, it is. I mean, I think the commission's like much less in, in Australia. Also, it's like two percent, between one total? and a half and two. I would say. Okay. Um, I think that it's it's much less. Um, I think here, listen, dual agency, if the seller's open to doing it, I think it's actually smart in a lot of ways here. You know, the seller should get a deal. If they do it, they should net a bit more money. But a lot of buyers, you don't know what they're thinking. And if the agent trusts you, you should be able to kind of negotiate, see both sides of the card to make a deal. You know, I can see how also, you know, you someone could interpret it not the great way for the seller, but... You know, it's it's a, agents always produce your responsibility for the seller and you know, double ended it. There's legal liability, you know, I don't know, it's it's tricky. We do it a lot actually in, in our team, but you know, some sellers don't. We do a lot of trust sales as well. So we, mm-hmm. we elect not to do that in the trust sale. It's just not worth the headache. Because um, you know, there's sometimes trust sales are there's a lot of um moving parts to say for sure, but you know, How, real estate in LA is different to uh, Melbourne, Australia for sure. Very different.
1: How's the super high end in Australia? Like, what's the what would be like the highest priced
0: home range? My, or, mates, or something? my mate's build The house sold for eighty million dollars. Oh wow! Last year, okay. the guy started a company, a gambling agency with Drake in like America, and the Aussie guy went there and bought the like. On the best street, this biggest house that's going to be gutted for 80 million.
1: There's not a lot of
0: 80 mils. There's some 50s and 20s. Um, My mate just bought one for like seven. My other mate's building one for about 20. But yeah, there was an 80 million dollar sale there. Um, you know, I think it's, if you buy good real estate on good locations, it's kind of like money in the bank, in my opinion. You know, there'll be some storms. There'll be some weathering of markets. You can weather them and hold on to them. It's money in the bank. I feel.
1: What do you What do you see? What, what's What's your view of the market right now? And in and, 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 you know in the next eighteen months?
0: Listen, so I think it really depends on the location. I think under five million, the market's changed a lot. Because if you're buying a two million dollar house, and your interest rate was I don't know two and a half, three. The payment was maybe six, seven thousand. Now it's like 14 or 12. That person's been super affected. You know, we sold a lot of homes last year and our average price point is 3.7 million. But I think between five and 50 million, that buyer's not as affected by the interest rate. They're more Mm -hmm. affected by where's the market going? Uh, How's the equity market? Are we going to a recession? I think that if it's a good product between five and 50 million, it sells still. We listed yeah. a house in the Riviera in Pacific Palisades for 10.5. Rare property, not big with a view and a pool and hanging off an edge on a big piece of land in like blue chip North Riviera Pacific Palisades location. It's sold like immediately. Uh, you know, Ben Affleck and J-Lo are selling, buying a house on Sunset in Pacific Palisades as we speak. They're in escrow. For 34 million. The property was on the market for like less than a week. You know, blue chip, one acre property doesn't, you can't replicate it. So I think if it's good, like buyers are more value focused. And instead of eight buyers, maybe there's four. Mm -hmm. But if it's a good property, a good location will sell. You know, the price, people are looking at the price a little bit more between five and 50. But it depends also whether your price, what location. If you're looking in Santa Monica, Brentwood, Palisades, that market's in market's very insulated. It's like a bubble. The market's yep. still good. Like Mar Vista, we have a listing coming up. Markets different there. Mm-hmm. under 3 million is still good. Between 3 and 5 million in Mar Vista's kind of soft. You know, I think in Bel Air, Beverly Hills, homes that are on the market for 50 million, buyers are getting them for 20, 30 million. Low 30s from 50. They would never get that. You know, the flats of Beverly Hills are still good. I think Sunset Plaza, Bird Street's pretty soft. You know, people are trying to get more deals. You can probably negotiate more if sellers are more realistic. Valley's still good, but getting a little bit softer, I feel. You know, I think Malibu's gotten softer as well. It was very high. You know, but something sold for 91 million in December. On the 21st of December, something sold for 91 million in Malibu. So a rare priest of property. So it really depends on where you are. What your space is? I think if you're in the Middle America, you know you're selling in Atlanta, Albuquerque, Mississippi, Auburn, New Hampshire. You're selling three to five million dollar, three to five hundred thousand dollar homes. The market's changed a lot, right? Because that market's like the regular folk person, right? Like their jobs change. Maybe they get less hours. Maybe if your their wife doesn't work as much anymore, or the businesses let go of a lot of people because they're not doing as many sales. So those people have been affected a lot. You know, I have a business coach, and I I see a lot of different people in a lot of different markets, and I think our market in LA is a little bit insulated, but, you know, it's it's an exciting time as well, I think, in, in a lot of ways if you can weather the storm because I think a lot of people, a lot of agents will get squeezed out of the market because when the market's going up, you put a sign up, market goes like that, you can sell immediately. But I think a lot of agents are already a lot of them like have gotten out of the market because they can't survive and there's less deals happening and it's taking longer to make the deals. And I think sellers want to work probably with more seasoned agents because they don't have time to waste. They would have tried and it's not worked. So I think, you know, if you have good market share, you maybe can get get more market share if you're willing, if you can get through the storm. But I think the market's still good, and depends really where you are. In my opinion,
1: yeah, I'm a big uh, proponent of that. Like when the chips are down, you, you if you can go all in, that's when you gain share. These are rare, you know, very opportunistic times for the strategic and the focused, right?
0: I agree, mate. I agree. I mean, I I feel like I don't read the news. I don't listen to what other people say. I don't listen to the nonsense. It's like yeah. I don't want to cloudy my cup. I, I want to keep it clear and clean. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, the news great. Everyone's like, read the news. I'm like, why? It's not good. I just kind of stay in my lane, do what I do, try to wake up every day and just try to, you know, do it the best that can
1: yeah, that, you can I do mean, it.
0: A- and I think try to get some market share is important at this time. You know, and I think there's also I study the market a lot. You know, I make it my business to know the market and know what's going on. And I think that's important if you want to be successful in the market you know i think anyone that's successful knows their space in out upside down like lloyd Blankfein, he ran goldman sachs like stephen schwartzman he's like blackstone guy like i've met some amazing the the ceo of bbdo who's like my mentor bbdo is like a huge ad agency in new york like these guys are like they it's not a job it's kind of like a lifestyle you have to breathe eat sleep dream now, if you want to like have a life, have a family. I want. I love my family a lot. But you, you need to make it your own. It's not. It's not a. You, you know. You need. To, if you want to succeed and be the best, in my opinion, you know the people that are doing it, they, they, they're in it all in. In my opinion.
1: Yeah. Let's change things up, Yorn. Now that we've we hit some heavy topics, let's get to the lighter side. Let's let's talk about. Um some things people might not know about you. We know tennis. We know finance. We know the Australian stuff. What, else, what, what would what would some people be very surprised to, to know about you, that they don't?
0: I like to drink chamomile tea, if that means anything to anyone. My my grandma used to drink that. So nice. I always is, that to a, drink-
1: is that a nighttime ritual,
0: pre, pre-bed? It's actually it's calm it's a down. morning thing. It's a morning oh, thing okay. for me. It's a morning because I've already got – a lot of energy so I need to be calm and I think that keeps me um nice but I, I think it's important for me that you know you want to treat people the way you want to be treated and be humble and you know try to do the right thing and share I think these are really important things give back you know like help other people that never had a, that don't have as much as the blessings that we have, I think these are some important things that I don't know if anyone wants to know some of my kind of core kind of cut from the cloth um, values of mine, for sure. I think, it's-
1: <clears throat> I think it's cool. And this is one of the things that we like to do on this podcast is, you know, people don't know the the people behind the name a lot with, with real estate, especially high end. You see the names, you know, you've got this sort of... Um, you know, maybe thought about what this person's like or, but you, people don't really know, you know, who, who Bjorn is and Santiago behind the sort of the million dollar listing, you know, kind of facade. You know what I mean?
0: One billion. Yeah. should be One, one billion.
1: billion. Yeah. One yeah. Billion. One billion. Sorry. Just a, yeah, just yeah. a minor. I get it,
0: I get it. <laughs> okay. um, I um, think, what, yeah, what are
1: your lifetime sales, by the way?
0: I think we've done over a billion. I mean, I know that for sure. So to be honest, like I don't count because it's not enough. So I just keep doing it and it doesn't really matter because until I get to where I need to be and where I'm going to get to, I'm just, just, we need more and we need to get more and we need to do more, but we need to do it the right way and share and be thankful and, and, you know, either give back and be humble. And, um, you know, I think drink some chamomile tea also, I think for sure. Keep I think like know. Roger Federer, if you see Roger Federer, like he's a gentleman. Yeah. He, never tell, he doesn't need to tell anyone he's the best. Right. People know he's the best. Yeah. You know, he went to Wimbledon recently. To, in, I don't know if you read the story. It was on Trevor Noah. He tried to get into the Wimbledon grounds and he was on that show, the Trevor Noah show, the talk show. Yeah. And he went to the grounds because he had like two or three hours and he's like, oh, I'd go to Wimbledon. He was in London and have some tea. And he went to the gate. And he said, "Hey, I, I want to see if I can get in." Like, and the lady was like, "You gotta, you gotta Google it because it's crazy." Because the lady didn't recognize him; she didn't know who he was. And he was there. And he asked like three, four, five times, like, "No, I've won the tournament a few times. He's won it like eight times. Like it's Roger Federer." Like, yeah, right. She's he's totally. He had to. He went to the other gate, and then the guy's like, "Oh, Mr. Federer, you're here." Like, he doesn't need to go and tell people, right? Yeah. It's so like you go on to a listing appointment with some of the biggest agents in LA, they don't really have to say a lot. They just go yeah. there and right. they people know because they know who, you, who yeah. the people is. And I think and they're very yeah. humble. And I think I want to always be like that. And, you know, it takes a lot of work to get there. But I think always do the right thing. Always treat people the way you want to be treated. I think that's really important. And always give back and share. And when people call you and ask for your opinion – you know, always be gracious and share your opinion. Because once, you know, I was like someone, I started in real estate and knew nothing. And, you know, good people guided me and helped me. But I, I, you know, I went to them and found them because I wanted it and they felt that. And people appreciate it, I think, as well. Just some feedback and some thoughts on two other people out there trying to get in the game.
1: Very cool. If you weren't, so we talked about the, um, If you weren't doing real estate now and you had to do something else, what would you go back to? What what do you think that would be?
0: I could go back. I'd probably, I had a lot of fun in school, I would say. I wasn't saying I was studying the hardest. (laughs) At the end, I tried, but at the last year of college I did, but I could have studied harder. I came from a different background, so I I did did the best that I could do with what I got. I would say I would have probably studied harder. I have no regrets. I think if I did like investment banking or something, I could do amazing. But, you know, I always wanted to be a professional tennis player. Mm-hmm. I tried. So I have no regrets. I feel blessed. I feel lucky I'm here today. You know, I think I want to invest in real estate. Always getting educated is so important. You know, I've learned a lot of – I went to college. I got educated. But street smarts I think are really important as well. But I think I could go back and do it again. I mean, if I could – if my mom could make me like, foot and a half or two feet taller, that would help my tennis game. So then I could be more like Roger. You'd have
1: some trophies in in your uh, study. I'd have more. I'd have some bigger ones. Yeah,
0: would have more, right. Yeah, sure. You're lucky in that regard.
1: Tell tell me a a funny, can't believe this happened to me real estate story in your career.
0: I, I always tell people on my team, if the police haven't called you, you probably shouldn't be on the team. Because I think the way we are very, we're, we're patiently persistent, but we're aggressive. And one of my good mates, Gary Gold, he said this great comment once. He said, "If you're not aggressive in LA, you won't make it." And you know, we're gentlemen and we treat people the way we want to be treated, but we're aggressive and we're going after it because we want it. And you know, we, we we cold call and we do some other things and we door knock. And one day we went to this person's house like more than five times. And then one day, maybe the police. I have shown up with the security and then I felt like, you know, we're probably not going to call that lady anymore after that day. <laughs> but, but um, you know, other people, like once, this bloke recently, okay, I, 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 he told me he's going to give me his listing and he's, I think this is a good story, and he told me he's going to give me the listing and, you know, then I saw the listing come on the market with another agent and I thought we were mates and I wrote him an email and he sent the email to the agent who listed it. And the agent we listed was actually a cool guy. And he called me and he said some things, which, you know, it wasn't warm and fuzzy conversation. And they called my broker and they said, Bjorn shouldn't call this guy. And you know, it happens. Yeah. And I, I could told them, I told the, the agent, I said, listen, this bloke called, told me he's giving me the listing. Like, like I wouldn't write him an email. I have his email address, his number. I've spoken to him. I've gone to his house. If, and then I found out that he that was his mate, a good mate for a long time. And I would never tell, like if me and you Warren weren't like best mates, I wouldn't tell someone else. I'm going to go give you the listing, give them the listing because we're mates and it's like a best yeah. mate. I just wouldn't waste people's time. That's just me. When my broker called me, I had to hear it like this in the phone. Mm. And the agent screaming at me in the phone. And then, I don't know, the guy put it on the market, got in escrow, didn't sell. The listing didn't, then it expired. Then the seller reached out to me and said, hey, that's me. I want to list it. And I, and I called the old agent. I said, listen, if I make a deal, I'm letting you know. I'll give you a little something. I'm not calling this guy out of respect for you. And... So then, so then, I got the listing. I listed it, and I sold it. And you know, I mean, you don't know. This is real estate. You got cops calling you, like people looking at us on like Zoom. Don't come to my house. The broker's calling us. But I'm saying, you know, we're not going to sit on the sidelines and wait for people to call us about trying to make a deal. You know, we're just that's not who we are. And if 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 someone if you called me Warren, look, I got another call the other day. I've got so many stories. I don't even want to keep telling. (laughs) They've got so many (laughs) stories like this, but you know, I think I don't know this. The the last one, the
1: other day, last one. What was it?
0: Like I met this this client. This is a real estate story, like agents, like sellers, buyers. They don't always tell you exactly the truth. Maybe, yeah. So you got to read between the lines always. Even if you trust them, I think, where we are, right? Middle America, like mum and pop, home, family, agent, diff- they're different there. I'm listing a, a property in Santa Clarita, this horse ranch. One of my past clients called me. I'm co-listing with this guy. Out there, they're different. They're loyal. They're good people. LA is different. We had There was a listing in the Hollywood Hills. There was an expired listing. We We reached out to the guy. He couldn't sell it. We went and met him and he, we told him, okay, hey, we've sold a few expired listings. You should do this, this, this and this. Guys are great. Awesome. We gave him a few tips, not all because if you give them all, then they'll use them. Mm -hmm. We kind of, we gave him a few too many. He told his agents use them and sold the property, which kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I felt like. He was also from the Commonwealth. He was a Commonwealth, he was like an English bloke. Mm -hmm. Irish guy, actually, I think he was. Commonwealth, Australia. Sure. So anyway, I had his number and then he bought a house on the west side and kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I wouldn't do that to someone. I wouldn't use someone's information and then with someone else, it's wrong. It's like a moral compass thing. I just don't think that's right. Yeah. You know, if I tell you, and he said, yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it, and then he didn't. So so then I saw the, I see the buyer all the time around in the hood, because, again, small sandbox, and I saw the buyer. I have his number. I saw the buyer at one of my open houses, and then we started talking, and then I had, you know, I have some property off-market. We sell a lot of property on-market, off-market, and I started, while him and his wife were there and his, his cousin, started texting him some information on the property and he started engaging and he asked a bunch of questions and we were texting for the next day and a half and then i get a call the next day from the agents that sold his previous house and saying that I'm trying to steal his clients. And I'm just like, listen, like, I'm like, um, I appreciate your call. I apologize you feel like that, but like I don't need you to call me and tell me what to do and how to do it because I would never steal anyone's client. I have a few clients, and as you can see, he was telling me about his business and how it's massive. And I'm like, if you tell me your business is massive, I know your business is not massive because I would never tell that. And Drew would never say his business is massive
1: because
0: you know, right? Right. You don't need to tell someone that. So anyway... But he said a bunch of stuff and like, I was respectful to him. I kind of put him in his place nicely, but I was like, if your client didn't want me to engage him, why didn't he just say, Hey, Warren's my client. Well, Warren's my agent. And if I, if he said that, I would said Warren's great, all good. I would not, but like, again, this is like the, and I have to deal with headaches and people calling me. Like this happens all the time. People are crazy in real estate.
1: Yeah, they are. Well, it's, it's, it's super emotion. competitive. It's emotional, and it's a humongous financial transaction, right? So it is. It is. you got all these layers of uh, emotion. You got money. You got just stress. You got all this stuff. So, and and a lot of agents, like you said, um, they're not doing the right thing. Their moral compass is not necessarily aligned either. They're they're all about the money, all about the deal. Um, so they're 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 not doing the right things sometimes. No, I feel like,
0: listen, I feel like 90% of agents make no money, 10% make all the money, and 50% of the 10% are slippery and shysters. So there's not that many. There's a lot of good people, but you want to find someone that you trust that's going to do it the way I feel like do it the I I try to see when I sell real estate, when I sell, I want to get the most money, and when I buy, I want a deal. And I try to help my client like that. You know, I, I try to help them like I would buy it. Like, mm-hmm. I want to get a deal when I sell, or when I buy something. And when I sell, I want the most money. So, just again, kind of treat people the way you want to be treated. But it's hard to find a good agent that you can trust. And they, they, a lot of them give us a bad name, actually, in my opinion, which is disappointing. But West Side agents are different. I think we're very, it's just different. You know, I think the other side of town, it's a different vibe. Like on the West Side, you wouldn't wear a suit. Like you can't, I was going to get a Lamborghini, the Rafe, that SUV. But if I drove that on the west side, I look like an idiot. Like you know, in the Hollywood Hills, you could drive that car because that's kind of like the vibe. It's just yeah. entertainment. It's just a different vibe. So, I think, um, yeah, just some of my insight and thoughts on that for sure. Hopefully, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's great, man. So let's. I want to be respectful for your time of your time here. We've had a, a great chat. Uh, any closing thoughts? I got a closing question, but any closing thoughts for you?
0: People that want to get into real estate should join a team. People should buy real estate. Nothing's easy. It's hard. It's the hardest business I've ever done.
1: Yeah.
0: You got to live, breathe, sleep, eat, dream real estate. It's fun. It looks good when you get a listing. But like I just got a listing today. It took me two years. I was talking to these people for two years. I got another listing last year. I was talking to them since 2014. Like that's like that's kind of the tenacity and Lee, kind of what what you need to be successful. But you need to work hard and you need to get educated. You need to know the market. And, you know, to get in the high end, I think you need to get good results. And I think the reputation is important in the high end for sure. But, you know, nothing's easy. Nothing comes without a lot of hard work. And you know, I feel fortunate to have my amazing family and you know, my, the people close to me and, you know, just keep trending in the right direction and just wake up every day and try to be like Roger, the best.
1: On that note, I think we, you'd hit it out of the park, or you hit it over the net, uh, uh, match, set <laughs> a, point.
0: Well we've got a, done. Well, we've got a long way to go to be the king, but, you know, I think also you need to be happy and you need to have fun because the journey's short, and I think everyone knows someone that got their, their life taken away from them in the last two, three years with COVID. This kind of Turkey-Syria thing is a great example of, you know, we got to be blessed and you know make the most of the opportunity and, know, try to find something that makes your heart smile and, you know, thank the man upstairs for everything and, you know, just, you know, try to be a good person. I think these are really important things and it's helped me a lot in my journey. I feel lucky.
1: Well said, Bjorn. So I want to thank you for being a guest and for being the stand-up guy that you are. And you shared a lot of great advice, a lot of great insight um, that hopefully some agents are listening to and will take heed work hard, roll up your sleeves, be nice Be that genteel bulldog, like you are. Yes, relentless but but nice.
0: (laughs) I think yeah. And if anyone ever has any questions and they want to reach out, feel free to reach out. Send an email. Happy to share, help where I can. You know, no question. I get a lot of calls and more about giving back and helping other people because once I was like you know everyone. So I think there's a way to be patiently persistent, which makes no sense and contradicts each other massively. But that's kind of the vibe for us and my team. You know, I appreciate you guys and the opportunity and you know, keep keep doing good things out there and always great to connect with you, of course.
1: Right on, Bjorn. All right. On that we'll end and you have a great rest of your year and continued success to you.
0: And Thanks, the team. mate. Appreciate it. And you as well. Cheers.